This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. You're listening to our Ketuanan Pengundi of Voter Supremacy series in collaboration with Bursi. This series will explore six key reforms that the Coalition for Clean and Fair Elections is championing to empower voters ahead of GE15. On the fifth episode, we discuss reforming the MACC and the Attorney General's Chambers. On the first half of the show, I'll be speaking to Thomas Fan, Chairperson of Bursay on MACC. And on the second half of the show, we'll play a part of another interview I did with Thomas recently on reforming the Attorney General's Chambers. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be talking to you again. Thomas, we are talking about um, reforming the MACC, but before we get into that, um, for people who may not be very aware of what exactly the MACC is and the role the MACC plays, um, break it down for us. Yes, uh, MACC stands for Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission. And um, what it does is actually is a government agency that investigates and prosecutes corruption, both in the public and private sector. So uh, our MACC uh, apparently is modeled after top anti-corruption agency, such as the famous Hong Kong Independent Commission Against Corruption, and also the uh, Independent Commission Against Corruption in New South Wales, Wales, uh, Australia. So these are some of the more well-structured agency and we are apparently modeled after them. What would you say are some of the problems with how MACC is structured right now in Malaysia? Yeah, so I I use the word apparently, you know, mm. because uh, apparently it is not like the ICAC in Hong Kong <laughs> or the one in New South Wales as, as well. Because I think over the years, we have seen that... Uh, MACC is one agency that is very susceptible to being uh, weaponized by the government of the day uh, against their political opponent. And I think whoever goes into opposition, whether it was Pakatan during those years or BN uh, during their time in opposition, always complain that uh, uh, this is unfair. Uh, MACC has been unleash upon them. And I think the the fundamental problem with that, the reason for that is because uh, the appointment of the chief commissioner is really the sole prerogative of the prime minister of the day. Right. Uh, he is the one who advised the Yang Dipatuan Agong uh, on the appointment and also uh, e- even the removal of this uh, person. So I think that is uh, the fundamental flaw in this structure. Right. So what you're saying is that whether or not the MACC is controlled by the government or isn't independent, there is this perception that continues to linger uh, among politicians on the opposition that there is some sort of um, bias um, that leans towards the administration of the day. Who should hire the, the chief of the MACC? Yeah, it is, you know, such an important uh, role, you know, mm-hmm. in our fight against 
corruption, it cannot be uh, tarnished in any way. Whether some of this uh, investigation or prosecution are justified or not, we do not know. But what we do know is that um, it, this role, Chief Commissioner of MACC, is a role controlled by the Prime Minister. So we have uh, made a recommendation, and, I, and, and this actually came in the wake of the appointment of Latifa Koya uh, by uh, Tun Mahathir when he was Prime Minister. Um, we, we, we queried that, we questioned that, that appointment because um, Mahathir openly admitted, you know, because uh, I, I appointed on my own prerogative, I didn't consult the cabinet. Right. And so, and at that time, um, the PH government already has a parliamentary select committee on major appointment uh, chaired by uh, YB William Leong. And uh, they, they were as stunned as anyone else. They didn't know that uh, this happened. And, and in the wake of that, we went to see uh, William Leong and his committee and made a proposal that uh, appointment to such key role need not only come through uh, the uh, special select committee, but there has to be also a public element involved. So we propose that uh, if anyone is going to be uh, uh, appointed to that role, the public should be free to nominate uh, people or the civil servants are free to nominate people. And then based on the criteria needed, the select committee on major appointment shortlist them, uh, interview them and shortlist them before the final three are given to the Prime Minister to pick one out of the three. So in some way, we don't need to change the constitution because it's still the Prime Minister who picked, but his hands are tied. And then he recommended to the advisor king to appoint the one that he picks. So that was our recommendation to fix this problem. Right. Um, I want to circle back to some of the reforms a little bit later. But, you know, when we talk about the, the, your MACC and corruption, um, one thing that needs to be discussed is Malaysia's rank on the Global um, Corruption Perception Index. Um, Malaysia hasn't done too great. Um, you know, even during pa- uh, Pakatan Harpan's time, there was uh, it got a little bit better. But when we just zoom out, it, we are not talking about, you know, being one of the best uh, top 10 in the in the world or anything like that, right? Uh, why is the Corruption Perception Index important? And how do you look at Malaysia's ranking on this index? The, the latest uh, report by Transparency International on Malaysia's ranking on this CPI was uh, is number 62. Right. And that that has uh, dropped from number 57 previously. And the, the, the score that we obtained this time was 48 out of uh, 100, which means that we, we didn't make the grade, uh, not, not even 50%. And as you mentioned just now, it has... Uh, uh, if, if, if I'm looking at a, a chart right now, mm-hmm. before uh, GE 14, it was at all-time low, 47. 47. Understandably, we had the 1MDB scandal uh, ongoing at that time. But after, right after GE 14, the following year, 2019, it shot up from 47 to 53. 
You are talking about the scores, right? Not the rank. The scores. Okay. The scores. Yes. The scores. So, so it went up to uh, 53 after the new government took over. But then after one year of the new government, it dropped to 51. You know, I think people are realizing that, you know, things are not changing as fast as they should. But uh, right after the Sheraton move, uh, the following year, it dropped to 48% uh, as uh, it, it is right now. So it, the perception is poor. And what that, why that is important is because, you know, a lot of uh, uh, foreign investment that wants to come into this country, um, they, they don't like to deal with corruption, especially those uh, institutional corruption where they have to, uh, whatever they need to do, they have to pass along some money or set aside part of the cost of doing business in Malaysia, uh, corruption. So I think that would keep away some of the, I would say like uh, grade one investors. The grade three and four are happy to come because they can get what they want, you know, just by greasing the palm of some politicians or officials. So, but we want the grade one investors and that's why this perception index is important. Right. What other reforms can we um, can be done so that the MACC is answerable to the people of Malaysia and, and not necessarily the, the Prime Minister of the day? Right now, uh, the M MACC, you know, uh, at least on paper, has uh, some independent bodies that it reports to or accountable to. For example, the Special Committee on Corruption in Parliament. Uh, then there is the Anti-Corruption Advisory Board, Complaints Committee, Consultation and Corruption Prevention Panel, Operation Review Panel. These are all fine and good and sounds official and serious. But, you know, the public still face corruption every day. Where do where do they go to? Right. Uh, a, a, a suggestion has been put up that uh, they perhaps need to be some sort of ombudsman role where it is, ombudsman is, is a special role of an independent person appointed that the public can directly go to without going through a lot of hoops and, and bureaucracy to get to, but talk to the ombudsman and then your complaint will be looked into and the ombudsman has power to call uh, all these uh, government officials to report what is happening. So I think we need some sort of really independent uh, uh, ombudsman or role that the public can directly go to. Uh, you know, everything, every layer, whether you apply for a uh, advertising board license or applying for a license for a new business, uh, I can tell you Malaysian face corruption all the way and and we need uh, a stronger body to make sure that the MECC is really doing their work and not doing the bidding of politicians. The allegation of Sai Sadiq that he was pressured by MECC to cross over was very serious. I think, you know, we uh, an investigation should have been uh, open uh, into that. Corruption is a cancer and we are at stage four. And I think most of us uh, can agree with that. If we don't deal with this scourge of corruption immediately, and we will very likely become a country that is known, you know, for corruption. And uh, that will be truly unfortunate because we have so much 
going for us as, as a country. So what we really need is, in this time of election, uh, look for parties that are truly serious about dealing with this problem of corruption. People who uh, have a clean history will be good, or parties that have a clean history. And also parties that are committed to uh, reforms that deal with corruption. On the show with me today is Thomas Fan, chairperson of Bursay. After the break, I'll be playing a part of another interview I did with Thomas recently on reforming the AGC and on judicial independence. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Darshan Johan and you're listening to the fifth episode of our Ketuanan Pengundi series in collaboration with Bursay. Before the break, I spoke to Thomas Fan, chairperson of Bursay on reforming MACC. Now, I'm going to play a part of a slightly older interview I did with Thomas where he talks about judicial independence. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, uh, perhaps you can tell me what exactly is the role of the AG? Well, the Attorney General actually has uh, four main roles, but uh, two of them that are more commonly known are, first of all, that uh, he or she uh, is the Chief Legal Advisor to the Government of the Day and to the Yang Di Pertuan Agong. So that is uh, spelled out in Article 145 of the Federal Constitution. But the second thing that also was spelled out in the same uh, article is that he is also the public prosecutor. In other words, he is the one who decides who to charge, who not to charge, whether to withdraw a case that is in court, uh, uh, in the court process or not. So this is uh, the role of the public prosecutor. But the other role that the AG has is that he also oversees the governing body uh, for the lower courts, the appointment of uh, the the magistrates and all this thing. Uh, and fourthly is he oversee the law drafting body. In other words, any law before it is brought to the parliament, the AG chambers would have the responsibility to draft these laws. Who has the power right now to appoint the Attorney General? Uh, the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister uh, in Article 145 of the Federal Constitution has the power to advise the Yang Di Pertuan Agong on who he wants to appoint. Uh, and, and the Yang Di Pertuan Agong will have to appoint this person. So the power is in the hand of the Prime Minister to appoint. Right. So I guess a more interesting question would then be, should the Prime Minister have the power to appoint or change an Attorney General? Well, my opinion is that uh, whoever forms the government of the day and is the Prime Minister, has the right and prerogative to appoint his own lawyer, so to say. You know, I wouldn't want someone else uh, to appoint a lawyer to speak for me or to defend me or to advise me. So I think it is uh, logical that uh, the Prime Minister uh, should have the right to appoint the Attorney General uh, of his choice uh, but the problem lies in the second function, the role of the of the Attorney General right now. He is also the public prosecutor. So that is, uh, to us, a clear conflict of interest. It violates the 
doctrine of the separation of power between the executive and the judiciary because uh, as the public prosecutor it is really part of the uh, justice system of the country. So that become, I think, a, a very prob problematic situation. But uh, strictly as the legal advisor, the AG, uh, the Prime Minister should have the right to appoint his own AG. So let's talk a little bit about that. Since you brought up the public prosecutor, right? what exactly is the role of the public prosecutor? You alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, and I'm wondering why you stress that the, the problem here lies that the AG and the uh, public prosecutor is essentially the same. Um, why should the AG chambers and public prosecutor um, be separate? Because as the public prosecutor, he or she is the one who decides who to charge and who not to charge. So if you remember, you know, uh, several years back uh, at the height of the 1MDB scandal, Najib, the Prime Minister then, sacked the Attorney General, or rather retired him earlier, uh, Ghani Patai, and then appointed Mohamed Apandi to be the new AG. And if you remember infamously to me, Apandi, you know, uh, after I think uh, just a few months being appointed, kind of like held a press conference and waved some papers around and declared that there's no case to pursue in the 1MDB matter. And he right. has looked into it and he dropped. There's says no, no further action, you know, on that matter. So that is the power of Attorney General uh, in the hand. So... When, when you have someone appointed by the Prime Minister with that kind of power, it can lead to the weaponizing, you know, of the office of the public prosecutor, selective prosecution. So I think uh, that has been the complaint uh, of uh, politicians on both sides because both sides had a chance to be government and appointed their own AG. Uh, even Najib Razak said that he was selectively prosecuted by right. the Pakatan Harapan AG. So this is the, the real uh, problem because of the uh, two conflicting roles that the AG has as a legal advisor and also as the public prosecutor. Right, and let's talk about that a little bit more because like you said, um, uh, it's not just a Barisan national issue, right? Um, during Pakatan Harapan's time in power, when they came to power, they uh, replaced uh, Mohamed Apandi Ali with Tommy Thomas as the AG. And, and this is essentially the problem, right? Because then now the other side is saying that this side is, this AG is biased. This side is saying that AG is biased. And it's a never-ending cycle, right? Unless we solve this problem. Exactly. You know, uh, we commissioned a research report on this very issue, reforming the office of the Attorney General. And uh, our researcher, Andrew Yong, uh, said this uh, very pertinent point that say, unless you separate the office of the AG from that of the public prosecutor, you will have endless cycles of court clusters claiming injustice and trying to overthrow the government so that uh, they can be let off uh, the hook. Because by becoming government, their AG, uh, Orang Dia, can let go of whatever charges. That, that is the, the real issue that I think we are facing here. But I, I still say that uh, every government have the right and should have the right to appoint their own AG. 
we just need to separate uh, the public pro- prosecutor role from the AG. Right. And is that essentially the crux of the thing? Because I'm wondering what we can do about this. Uh, what are the solutions for a truly independent judiciary? Because, you know, even despite how courageous the judges have been lately, there is this perception by the masses um, that it is essential for Barisa National not to win big next elections or Najib might walk free. And on the other side, um, you know, there's this perception where Barisa National needs to win big so that Najib can walk free. There's this perception, depending on which camp you are, by the by the general public, right? Um, and and sim- a similar thing happened um, after Pakatan Harapan won the elections and subsequently um, Anwar Ibrahim walked free. Now, of course, we can debate whether Anwar should have been tossed in jail in the first place, whether it was just a, a political character assassination and all of that. But I think that's beside the point, right? Because currently, the way people are looking is that a new government can come and then just whatever charges can be dropped. The people are correct in their perception because under current law, that is exactly uh, the power of the executive, you know. I mean, that's why our, our law is so flawed, you know. Uh, that we 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 have to continue to push for reform to the AG uh, AGC, separating the public prosecutor from from the AG, and also the judicial appointment process uh, is extremely flawed because once again uh, the man at the top, the prime minister, has the power to influence who become judges uh, uh, or, or not, so that the cases uh, would favor uh, their agenda or their, their, their policy and their people. So this is uh, under current law. So what we are saying is that uh, uh, to push for judicial uh, appointment reform, there are three, three things that we have to look at. First of all, it must be merit-based appointments. You know, we want the best brains, the best people, people with integrity, to be our judges. Uh, secondly, I think the judges has to reflect Malaysian society. In other words, there has to be some diversity uh, in terms of gender, in terms of the region they come from, in terms of ethnicity, and even religion. It, it cannot be uh, just uh, homogeneous, uh, reflecting one segment of society. Right. But most importantly, thirdly, the criteria uh, for any reform is that there must be transparency in the process and uh, and accountability. So what we are recommending in Brussels in our research, uh, after we look at uh, several countries, is that we need to establish a truly independent judicial appointment Commission. Now we, we do have a JAC. Is there in name and it sounds right. good. Uh, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that it is the Prime Minister who largely appoint um, Orang Deer to the Judicial Appointment Commission. Right. And the Judicial Appointment Commission role is primary to recommend uh, people they think fit to become judges to the Prime Minister. Who has the right to refuse? Who has right. the right to even just appoint someone outside the list of uh, recommended people uh, before they are then 
before he advised the Yang Deputuan Agong to appoint them as judges. So that is how powerful uh, the Prime Minister is. Lastly, uh, thanks to Dr. Mahathir. Right. Uh, you know, the legacy that he left behind. So Thomas, earlier you brought up the whole um, Najib appointing Orang Deer um, as the AG and then, um, you know, the AG uh, basically uh, waving off all the cases in, in essence, right? Um, uh, cases surrounding 1MDB and, and whatnot. So let's say we get to a point where the AG chambers and the public prosecutor is separate. What would it look like? We get a new pres- uh, prime minister that comes in. It can be, let's say, Najib or Anwar or just whoever. And they have cases um, on them. They come in as the new prime minister. What happens next? What happens then? Okay, so the separation has taken place. Yes. And the new prime minister, whoever this person may be, appoint a new AG. Right. Uh, the AG would not have the power to drop or withdraw charges that is ongoing. Uh, Taking Najib as an example, he has at least three or four other court cases ongoing related to 1MDB. Uh, this uh, would not be, the AG cannot uh, uh, influence to say we withdraw the charges or we stand down or we have come to a deal. Uh, you know, I mean, just recently we had uh, Hassan. uh the chief spy of the country, this lady, uh, was charged with a criminal breach of trust for 50 million, just over 50 million ringgit. And, uh, you know, that whole case was uh, kind of like a drop because uh, the attorney general's office didn't pursue it. And uh, the judge said, then we, I will just drop the case because the prosecution didn't present anything you know, to further the case. So that is, I think, the, the power and the danger. So if there is a separation, this won't happen. And then there is no need for anyone to cry and say that uh, they were unjustly prosecuted and unjustly uh, judged. Uh, and the rule of law will be upheld and, and strengthened in this country if that, that has happened. Can you give me an example uh, of a country we can learn from um, as far as judicial independence is concerned? Um, any great examples out there? Well, I, I, I don't know about great example because I think every country is still fine-tuning their process. But right. certainly for us being a constitutional monarch system of government, the UK would probably be a good country to look to because they too have a similar uh, common law with us and also have a, a monarch uh, in, in their system of government. So what happens in, in the UK is that uh, when there is a, a vacancy for a judge, uh, the, the Lord Chancellor, which is, like, I guess, the equivalent of our law minister, uh, convenes an independent selection commission. Now, I am personally not in favor of of that, the law uh, uh, minister doing that, but I would rather we replace that with the chief justice. The chief justice, uh, when there is a vacancy for a judge, uh, convenes an independent selection commission. But after that, uh, what happened is that then this commission, uh, which comprises of uh, representative from 
different areas. Uh, so in the UK, they have uh, representative from the judicial appointment bodies of England and Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland. So in our case, you need to have representative from Sabah, Sarawak, uh, Peninsula to be in this commission. Then you also uh, need to have uh, the uh, president of the Court of Appeal, for example, and also I would say someone from the Bar Council uh, of Malaya and also of Sabah and Sarawak to be present so that they form basically this body of people who would independently seek out the best candidate. So they then will go through a series of consultation. Uh, and in England, they even advertise for the post. Vacancy, we need a judge. You know? uh, <laughs> so anybody can apply. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but, so they have a transparent process. Then they uh, consult with senior politicians from both sides of the aisle mm. uh, to get their opinion on candidate or suggestion. Then after that, they will interview the shortlisted candidates. Uh, with that, they will present it back to, in their case, the Lord Chancellor. But in our case, I would say... Uh, present it back to the Chief Justice who would then have uh, his or her own uh, round of consultation just to make sure these are people that are agreeable, acceptable before it is forwarded to the Prime Minister uh, office to make an announcement. You know, So it is, uh, I think the gist of it is that it was a very consultative process yes. and very transparent uh, at the end of the day, it is to evoke public confidence in our judges, in our judiciary, because, you know, without public confidence, uh, without confidence in the rule of law, uh, we will have the rule of the jungle if people don't have confidence in our judges. Can you explain that a little bit? Why is it important that the public has confidence in it or perceives it at least to be something that is independent. Why is that important? What is the impact if the public does not have confidence in the judiciary? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the rule of law is, is really, I think, uh, one of the foundation of a society, of a democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, without a set of laws that we all sign up to, agree to, and abide by, um, we will basically become a lawless country. And the judiciary is seen as the, the final arbiter or interpreter of the law. So if there is any dispute between uh, citizens, dispute with the government or what, we go to the court. And we right. expect the court to dispense justice without fear or favour uh, regardless of who that person is. Uh, so with that, we need to be sure that our judges are absolutely uh, fair in their judgment because once that is broken or obviously perceived to be broken and, and the judges are corrupt, can be bought with money, then the people on the ground will see it as... Uh, uh, there's no justice for them. So right. what would happen is that uh, quite quickly, people will take justice into their own hand. 
So you're going to have a vigilante, you know, roaming the streets, dispensing their own justice. Or uh, that may sound good for a Hollywood movie, but <laughs> I think I think we will be living in fear because everybody interprets justice uh, their own way, you know. Uh, so we cannot uh, allow that to happen. So the the public perception of the judiciary to be independent, free from influence, political influence, is absolutely uh, critical. Thomas, I also want to pick your brain a little bit about um, Tun Dr. Mahade, right? What exactly is the impact of um, Tun Dr. Mahade's first tenure uh, as Prime Minister on judicial independence? What are the changes? What did our judiciary look like before him uh, pre-Mahade in the 80s and 90s and, and post-Mahade at that time? The dark clouds descended over our judiciary in 1988 uh, with the uh, judicial crisis uh, that happened when Tun Mahathir was the Prime Minister first time round. There was power struggle within his own party, AMNO, uh, with Tunku Razali kind of like uh, coming very close to replacing him as the president of AMNO, therefore as prime minister. But, uh, and there was a dispute in the, in the count, and which was eventually taken to courts. And the courts, after hearing both sides, decided that there was uh, uh, a case uh, that there was uh, fraudulent uh, voters in the election of, of uh Amno decided to disband Amno, so I think that really upset Mahathir to the point that he was very publicly critical of the judges, and in particular uh, the Lord President at the time, Saleh Abbas. Abbas, and so long story short, uh, he removed uh, Saleh Abbas through a tribunal that was uh, very controversially put together, and since then. Um, laws have been amended to curtail the independence of the judiciary. So with that, then also later on, some years later, we have the VK Lingam uh, tapes where he was uh, recorded as discussing how to fix the judiciary, the appointment of the top judges, the chief justice even, who to be appointed, things like that. I mean, that was scandalous. And so people's whole confidence in our judiciary just went, went to the toilet. And I think it's only recently, as recent as two weeks ago, that uh, people's confidence uh, are beginning to be restored uh, in our judiciary with the jailing of uh, Najib Raza and the sentencing of his wife, Rosma. Now, we've discussed the solutions to the problem. Um, now, the question is, how do we get there, um, Thomas? What is the next step? Are we talking about um, um, constitutional amendments? Um, are we talking about restructuring certain laws? Uh, um, where do we go from here? Yeah, certainly, I think there are two things that we're talking here. One is uh, reform of the AG, uh, AGC. Uh, the separation of the role of the public prosecutor from the AG must take place. And I think one of the heartening things that we are hearing, number one is that the Prime Minister Ismail Sabri uh, mooted this or proposed to do this as early as in May this year uh, on his own. It wasn't part of the memorandum of understanding or, or anything that they, he, he would like to separate uh, 
the role of the public prosecutor from that of the AG. And that has been also voiced out and echoed by the different political leaders from both sides of the divide, including AMNO, including AMNO, and, and including uh, uh, YB Azalina, who was one of the very vocal proponents for this separation right. uh, of, of this thing. So the, the reform to the AG need to take place. And it is doable. I think there is uh, coming together a political will for that because the main parties on both sides can see the problem, you know, selective prosecution by the AG. So there is uh, a move towards that. The second thing is reforming the judicial appointment process. The the Judicial Appointment Commission, uh, Jack, uh, really uh, need to be reformed. Uh, to remove, primarily to remove the role of the uh, Prime Minister uh, in influencing that uh, uh, and also to appoint members of the, to the Commission. So that takes a constitutional amendment. Uh, I, I believe Article 122 uh, is the one where it has to be amended so that the Prime Minister don't have that final say who become judge or not. Right. Uh, we rather that it would be uh, the commission itself that is independent, making that recommendation to the Yang De Patuan Agong for appointment rather than the prime minister. That is something that I think is critical to be done so that we, we truly have a, a free and independent judicial system and upholding the doctrine of the separation of powers between the executive, the judiciary, and the legislature. You know, so this is something that needs to happen. But you know, we, we are ex- excited right now by the display of independence by right. the courts lately. In the last few years, I would say that we have been kind of like optimistic and hopeful under the current Chief Justice. We have saw a lot of independence, but uh, seriously, I think before we pop the champagne and celebrate, uh, we still have to push for the reform to the law because uh, this can be totally reversed with the change of government. Uh, with, with a new government that do not respect the rule of law, um, they can put in uh, their own AG to withdraw cases, drop cases, uh, and even influence the appointment of judges. Uh, we, are, we are a little bit concerned with that because lately we saw some new appointments to the Judicial Appointment Commission that I think kind of raised some eyebrow because of their previous stated position on some of the issue. That is still a concern for us. Thomas, how important is public engagement when it comes to achieving these goals, achieving judicial independence? What can the public do? What we can do is really, I think, defend judicial independence. So recently, there was uh, this situation uh, related to Najib's case as well, SRC case, the allegations of uh, that the High Court judge Naslan uh, was uh, has kind of like a un- unexplained wealth in his personal account, and this was like you know by some discredited blogger from the UK writing about this. 
and which then got the MACC to announce their starting an investigation into Judge uh, Naslan. Now, this is all very uh, of concern simply because uh, when a, 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 a court process uh, is in progress, I think there has to be restraint on both parties, trusting that the system uh, works, that justice will prevail either way. If you are innocent, you have absolutely nothing to be worried about because the evidence should point that towards your innocence and the judge will make uh, the right declaration of your innocence. But to impute some sort of uh, wrongdoing on the presiding judge while a case is going on uh, is really uh, an attack on the judiciary. Right. Uh, and I, I think this particular case was a very bad example of what not to do when a case is going on. So that allegation was made and so the Bar Council uh, rightly came forward, uh, condemned it and then called for a walk for judicial independence, which is supported by a lot of people in civil society and also the public. So I think it's important that the public voice out, you know, when, when the court process is being interfered with and uh, justice is uh, put under pressure uh, to favour a certain uh, party in a case. And even right to the final appeal, I mean, it is almost shocking. It is really shocking, in fact, you know, to, to even have the Chief Justice Tengku Maimon Right. Uh, personal uh, uh, family and life dragged into the thing and and uh, allegation of biasness uh, hurled at uh, the chief justice of the country who is hearing the case. I think this is this is uh, something that we need to defend, and in different ways. Uh, some people can issue statement. Uh, some people can organize. Uh, uh, peaceful protests and, and they should uh, some people can go on social media uh, but whatever it is I think most important for us as voters is that we need to to vote for parties uh, or politicians that respect the rule of law right. whatever the outcome is you know, I think that is to me for the coming general election will be one of the main issues that the voter need to, to consider before they cast their vote for uh, the party or the coalition of their choice, that uh, is there a commitment to the rule of law? Because, uh, like I said, the consequence of not upholding the rule of law will be devastating for the country. So what, what are the devastation Apart from people taking to the street and having vigilante uh, roaming the streets. No, no. The, the, the big immediate devastation is that international community will look at us as a laughing stock. Right. You know, uh, when it was it's so clear to everyone that, that something has gone wrong with this country the last few years and, uh, and justice can be overturned just like that. Uh, all the foreign investors and they will withdraw from our country. They will pull the rug, the carpet from under our feet 
and that will be the end of us, and we will be a a, a basket case, you know, a laughing stock. Right. So it's it's that serious. Absolutely. Before we wrap this conversation up, Thomas, would you have a final message for me? Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, uh, many people are elated. You know, uh, simply not because they there's a there's a hatred of uh, the former Prime Minister Najib and his wife, but I think there is a sense that judiciary in our country is regaining its independence and strength, and that we can rely on it for justice. So people are uh, hopes have been restored not just in the judiciary, but also in the country. I think the sentencing of Najib and Rosma did more to restore people's hope in our elections and encouraging them to come out to vote than all the work that Brasse and all the other NGOs have done in the last few years. We were like begging people, don't give up on Malaysia, don't give... But one sentence in one day, I think people say... Yes, Malaysia, we still can invest in you and put our hope in you. So we, we are, uh, people are jubilant, but I want to really caution. The laws are still very, very flawed. The AG is still really all-powerful when it comes to uh, the justice process, the prosecution process. It's really all-powerful. And unless that is separated... You know, all these things can be totally reversed in, in the wing of, of an eye. And so the other thing is the judicial appointment. Uh, the prime minister is still, again, you know, uh, on the surface, we look like a democracy, a, a very flawed one. But in reality, the prime minister is, is really like a dictator. Right. And he has the law to back it up. He can hire and fire the AG and influence even the appointment of the Chief Justice and even the Yangi Pertuan Agong mostly have to act on the advice of the Prime Minister uh, with just very few exceptions. Uh, uh, even, even the King uh, don't, don't have the same power as the Prime Minister. So I think the, the overall reform that needs to take place is that uh, we have to reduce the power of the Prime Minister when it comes to the judicial process so that we truly have a separation uh, of power among the executive, the judiciary and the le legislature. That was Thomas Fun, chairperson of Bursi. If you missed any part of this episode, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Ketuanan Pengundi on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.